This is the Fail Fast Podcast. Stories of entrepreneurs who looked at failure in the eyes and didn't give up. With your host, Quinn Amorum. Welcome back to the show, my friends. Today, we have a first-generation Canadian who worked at Burger King to pay for his college, and he turned millionaire by the age of 30. Today, he's the CEO of Specific Mechanical Systems, a company that has 85 employees, manufacturing firm that specializes in designing and fabrication of breweries. So believe that is something we never had here before on the show. He lives in beautiful BC in Canada, and we have with us today Cozy Stubbs. Cozy, how's it going? It's going awesome. How are you? Very good. Man, so one of the things I envy is the fact that you are in beautiful BC where, I mean, it's... Um, in my eyes, it's like it's summer all year round. <laughs> Is that not, true? Not at all. There's, there's two, and I grew up in Alberta, so I, um, so I know both temperatures really well mm-hmm. and climate. So BC, it is beautiful, and it's amazing in the summer times, and the winter winter times, it's full of rain, so it gets quite gray. Uh, I remember actually the first time I moved to BC, the very first year I moved from from Edmonton to to BC, it was 2004. And when I made that trip, I was only going to be here for a year. And that first February, that first fe- January, February, it rained for three days straight. And wow. I was like, holy shit, I got to go back to Alberta. This is not like, <laughs> but uh, luckily it doesn't rain like that all the time. But that year was an anomaly. But you get a lot of rain instead of snow. And it's a kind of a balancing act of which you like better. Yeah, man. I mean, being here for so long. Uh, I would trade the the minus forty Celsius for for a bit of rain every day. Right? <laughs> All right, so cozy. Um, like I said in the, in the introduction, you're a first generation Canadian. So where did your parents come from? Both my parents are from Jamaica, and uh, my mom actually immigrated first. Yeah, uh, she came to Canada first, and she came uh, on a sponsorship as a nanny. So she applied to a program. She was really working in um, Canada, uh, sorry, in Jamaica, making clothing, right? So she was making clothing, you know, in a factory, you know, people make like five, ten dollars a day. Um, and she came over as a nanny and uh, thousands of people applied and very few got selected. So she came to Canada as a nanny, taking care of, uh, you know, wealthy family from Edmonton's uh, kids. And that's how she came. And then shortly thereafter, uh, my father was able to come over as, as part of that. So. Um, our trip to Canada was literally a lottery of us being in Canada and then my parents anyways. And then the fact that they had me um, here was another amazing opportunity because, you know, my dad in Jamaica, you know, he worked, um, you know, odd jobs. And my mom was in, was, you know, sewing clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's, there's no way my career trajectory trajectory would have been the same if I was uh, born in Jamaica. So. Very grateful for the have having the opportunity to be born in a, in a country like Canada, um, that allotted me a lot of tremendous opportunities. Yeah. yeah so I actually saw something that is is quite quite neat. That it was a TV show where you were on it as a kid. I don't know. It looked like you were probably sixteen, seventeen years old on this yeah. TV show, and you were talking about you worked at Burger King at the time. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm guessing this was not because you just wanted a bit more experience. It was probably a necessity at that time. Yeah, totally. Um, so this funny part about that show that you watched, I'm going to get back to that. 
because I actually, um, that video, it, I, I get this, my mother, my mother is in her seventies and people think she's like in her forties today. Right. And, um, there was a time when we were in Vegas, me, my mother and my brother, and my mom's like 30 years older than us. And, and they thought my brother and my mother were dating. Uh Right. So on my mom's side, we've got these tremendous genes. So that video that you saw where it looks like it's a teenager, I'm 30 years old in that video, if you can believe it. No, 31. Yeah, I'm 31 in that video. And that that's an interview that I did. I was about to do, a, uh, I think it was a youth conference that I had done. And I was about to, to do a speaking event at a youth conference. And they had interviewed me just before that, uh, talking about some of my life events. And I was referring back to when I was 15 and things that had happened. So the funny part about that video is I'm actually, I'm actually not 17, 18, although I look like a teenager. Yeah. And I did a contest on my Instagram page where I said, if anyone can guess my age, I'll give you $100. And nobody guessed it. Everyone, like the, the oldest people guessed was like 25, right? But uh, yeah, so oh. just like this, um, this, uh, this gift of youth that came from my mother. And uh, yeah, <laughs> throws a lot of people off sometimes. Well, so, well, that is fantastic. My guess would have been 17 if, uh, <laughs> if I saw that competition. <laughs> but uh, man, that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, on that video, you, you did talk about something that was when you were, uh, when you worked at Burger King, you, you told people that by the age of 30, you wanted to have, you wanted to own 10 properties. And a lot of people thought you were crazy, right? To go back to washing dishes. That's, that was something I thought it was funny. Yeah. But you actually, you didn't get 10 properties by the age of 30. You had 20. Exactly. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a pretty tremendous, um run and accomplishment and a proof in the pudding of if you give yourself time and i say 10 years when i say give yourself time you can pretty well accomplish anything right i talked to this there's a like a 10,000 hour rule where it takes 10,000 hours to be really good at something yeah. um so you can apply that rule to pretty much anything that you're willing to put that amount of time and effort into and and your knowledge, it's interesting how it goes is because your knowledge kind of incrementally goes up and up and up and up, but your money doesn't really follow. And the money almost happens like exponentially. It's like a hockey stick. So you get all this knowledge, 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 and then you get to a point of where your knowledge begins to command a lot of dollars. And that's where that hockey stick <clears throat> comes and the wealth just kind of grows. So uh, like, you know, the last five years have been where I where I've achieved majority of my wealth. And that's kind of true throughout my career and then as you go forward it kind of gets exponential because you get this hockey stick effect when you get really really good at something that everything sort of clicks right everything sort of clicks all those like i tried it this way didn't work i tried it this way didn't work i tried it this way didn't work try this way didn't work oh okay now i see what i need to do right i see the people i need to bring in in terms of expertise that i don't have that that need to support what i'm trying to accomplish and then as those things start to come together you start to accomplish some really fantastic things. Impressive. So you know, I'm a I'm a believer of the ten thousand hour uh, experience. And the first time I heard about that, it was Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, mm-hmm. I heard him talk about the ten thousand hours in uh, what's the name of the book? It's actually one of the best sellers. It doesn't matter, but he did talk about all the ten thousand hours. And since then, I've been trying to see what are the things that I have 10,000 hour experience on to see what my strengths are. And I mean, it's like you said, things start, they, they never get to 
where we want them to be at the start, right? We got to start slow and start developing things and then change and, and rearrange things. But what I want to know is because it takes those 10,000 hours or 20 or 15, it doesn't matter. When you think of like in that case, you wanted to have 10 properties. Do you visualize that? How do you see it in your head? Do you see it as it's, yeah. it is already the truth? Yeah. So I do. I see it as a truth. And then further than that is I'm big on vision boards and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I build out my vision board. So I get really clear what I'm doing. And with a vision board is not, what people need to understand, it's not just the process of building the vision board. Like that's one thing. But the vision board for me is getting really clear on what I want. Right. But then it's acting on it. So my actions need to support my vision board. So it means that everything that I do in my day, if it doesn't support that long-term goal of the vision board, I don't do it. Right. Mm. So one of my things on my, and that's how I determine what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do. Right. So, cause as you go, you get a lot of opportunities, a lot of distractions come up. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I do this? Should I do that? When you get clear on where you, what you want to accomplish, you only focus on that. And with that laser focus, you're able to move mountains. So the reason why I'm on this podcast is because it aligns with my vision board. There's a part of my vision board, the top right hand corner of my vision board, where it talks about how I want to impact millions of people, communicate and impact millions of people through my story and what has happened to me. Because I believe that with what I started with and what I've been able to accomplish, there's a lot of people that can learn from that. Because I wasn't tremendously smart, wasn't the smartest kid in any class that I've ever been in. Um, and I, but I worked really, really hard and in, in, a, in an area. And I think that anybody can learn to work hard in an area. And if you do that, eventually things start to happen. Um, so uh, that's kind of part of it. So everything is aligned for me always, right? So everything I do in my day, if I'm going to do it, or I'm not going to do it, it has to be aligned with my vision board and my vision of what I want to accomplish in the future, right? Yep. You know, I want to tell you a funny story about a vision board. Yeah. Before I had any vision boards of my own, my wife had a vision board and she had it uh, in a place where we would see it every day. So it was right before we, uh, close to our bed and we would have to see that every day. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't mine, it was her vision board. But by looking at it, by seeing it every day, I kind of memorized what was there. And yeah. she is not very um, materialistic, right? Yeah. She is, she loves family, she loves, uh, it was um, being more active, going for walks, spending more family time. Yeah. The only thing that was kind of, uh, that had to do with physical possessions was, a different kind of SUV. We had SUV, but she wanted a Honda SUV. Yeah. And everything in her vision board, I looked yeah. at it and I started thinking one day, I can get all of that, right? I can get all of that. It was things that I could get to her, right? Yeah. yeah. So for example, if she wanted to be more active, I was like, hey, let's go for a walk, right? Mm -hmm. And we would do it as a family. So yeah. we'd be family activity and doing the being active. And, and then I bought her the the SUV she wanted or van whatever it's called it was a Honda Odyssey the same color and everything that she had there and and then I realized everything that was there became true to her <laughs> so it was I mean I could achieve that but if she didn't have that vision board it wouldn't have happened probably right and uh, so it was it was funny so after that I decided I have to get mine going too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Great fun. You know, if you be really clear with what you want in life, then it's just standard, right? If you're really clear on what you want in life, 
Um, I don't care what you believe in, whether it's God, energy, doesn't matter what you believe in, but there's a force that's going to get you in that right direction. And we're going to move, it'll move mountains to get you there. Cause when someone's determined on something and they mm -hmm. want it, they can see it and they, they, their actions align with their goals. Yeah. It's very, very difficult to stop someone who's, who's that driven. Um, and uh, I read a lot of books, especially a lot of biographies of people. I like to read a lot of autobiographies mm -hmm. um, just to see how people accomplish things. One of my goals now is A, to impact millions of people. B, uh, uh, I had a brother that passed away, and I wanted to honor his legacy with building one of the largest charities in the world. And to get there, I want to make a billion dollars. These are monumental goals, right? These are big goals, right? And um, I found that by making that my goals and my intentions clear, it it really allowed me to kind of get laser focused on what I want to do and also get the right people to help support me in life as I was trying to accomplish these things and, and building out teams. Like overall, I've got over 100 employees, right? But realistically, I only interact with five people, right? I only have direct line of sight to five people. And I've always kept it that way. I think it's important to learn how to delegate effectively if you're going to grow. Like, I, I don't know anyone who owns a major company that didn't master the skill of delegation. Um, so that was something that I had to learn early, how to properly delegate and to do it the right way so that you can allow the right people to do the right things. And it's all these little things that kind of help build you as an individual. And I say like these skills you kind of continually build so that you can get to a point, right? If you want to get here, there's a lot of things you got to do in between here and there. And the bigger your goal, the more focused you have to be. That's very powerful. Well, when it came to that uh, delegation, do you ever have any issues with that? Uh, just because you look, let's say you can look 20 years younger than you actually are. You yeah, to totally. Right. So I'm 38 right now. I don't know how old I look, but I'm 38 right now. Um, but um, I, I've never had an issue based on age personally i never never and to be honest i'm being really real with people i've never had an issue in business based on race either never had an issue based on age i've never had an issue based on race that's my personal experience i can't speak for anybody else in the world i can only speak for kosi right mm -hmm. and one of my advantages is i'm not saying why i do or don't one of my advantages is is um i am a good communicator and i find that when you can communicate well to people and you can communicate concepts and ideas very well and efficiently to people and you're open and you're honest with people doesn't matter what preconditions they had before they're opening and honest to receiving that information right because i'm very with the people that i work with and work with i'm quite open about who i am what i do well and what i do poorly you know i i have dyslexia i don't sugarcoat that i let people know hey i if you if i write something down and you read it and, it and it reads stupid it's because it i probably wrote it right mm -hmm. you read something in a, in a if you see an email I, I did make a mistake it wasn't autocorrect it wasn't whatever i've got dyslexia unless i write something and i really stare at it for a long time and make the right corrections i'm going to write things that are that so that's me and in my fullest and i don't i've never sugarcoated that i never said that i i'm i never pretended to be something that i'm not I know a lot in the area of business. I know a lot in the area of real estate and I focus on those areas that I know and I communicate to people exactly what I know, exactly what I'm good at. And I think for the most part, people accept that and people learn that, you know, Hey, here's a guy who's open, honest, hardworking. And because he's hardworking for no other reason, because he's hardworking, 
he's gained a lot of knowledge in certain areas, right? If you read as much as I read and did as much as I did, you'd be as competent or more so because I, I'm a slower learner, you'd be as competent or more so than I was in the area of, of business and in the area of real estate. I love your honesty. Uh, I actually saw something that was also very honest of you. And it was your picture with, um, with Tony Robbins, right? Mm -hmm. You had a picture with Tony Robbins and he was giving you a big hug and uh, you could see actually how big that man really is. Mm -hmm. But, um, funny thing is a lot of people use the Tony Robbins picture and they post stuff on social media like, Oh, here I am with my buddy, Tony. Yeah. He posted, uh, here's a picture of me and Tony. He doesn't know me. I actually <laughs> paid 1500 bucks for this picture. Yeah. And I love that. Because yeah. it, it's uh, a lot of people that know it is the first thing they see. Okay, it's uh, after an event, it was a picture. And yeah. you didn't sugarcoat it. You didn't say he was your friend. You actually said he doesn't know me. He just took a picture. <laughs> right. So, and uh, I think that when you, when you approach life that way, and I don't care. Like my shortcomings, I have no issues with my shortcomings. And I'll tell you what they are. And we'll talk about them. And I... And it doesn't, it doesn't make me feel bad in any way because it's an area for me to learn. And learning is growth, right? So it's an area for me to learn and for me to grow. So I take it that way. And uh, so it's very difficult for you to get inside my head because, like, it is what it is. I know what I know and a lot of shit I don't know, and that's okay. Um, and I, and when, I, when I post a picture, I see the same thing. I, see, I, can, I can post that picture and say nothing. But when I post the yes. picture and say nothing, the majority of people are going to insinuate, especially with the way Tony's laughing in that photo, a lot of people are going to insinuate that him and I are friends. Right. And I don't want people to have that thought process because we're not friends yet. He doesn't know who I am yet. And my goal in life is to build myself so big that eventually he knows about me. Right. Mm -hmm. So that one day we take another picture. And in that picture, I can say, here's Tony Robbins. He knows me. Right. Because of what I've accomplished. He's aware of who I am because of the things that I've done. I don't want it to be, you know, it was an honor for me to meet him because he's someone that I looked up to. One of those many books that I read that impacted my mindset was a lot of Tony's speeches. So it was important for me when he came to Vancouver to do a talk that I had the chance to take a photo with him. That was important with me. I had the money to do it. So they said, you pay this money, you get your picture taken. I used that time to have a couple quick moments of a conversation, let him know how much he impacted my life and let him know. And then we had a little blur back and forth. He thought I was well-dressed. So it was pretty humorous back and forth. And that was the end of the interaction. But you know, he talked to thousands of people that day. And I know he didn't doesn't remember that specific conversation, right? So I just I think it's so important to people, and it's interesting that you read that one resonated with you because there's a lot of people that messaged me after that and said, "Hey, Kose, like I really appreciate again, I really appreciate your honesty because so many people on social media are so fake with what they say and what they do. And for me, it's like I need people to know that when I say that I know somebody, I know them, right? <laughs> they need to be able to trust what I'm saying is true." So that they understand, okay, this is real now, or you know, this is not. Just be clear, because it was an important picture for me, but I didn't want people to get the wrong impression, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, that's definitely what's happening when you when you give people honesty, they start trusting you, and mm -hmm. when you do post a picture, and and I believe it will happen that you will post a picture with Tony. Maybe Tony will post a picture with you soon and say, "Look, this is my buddy Cozy. I know yeah. him." Right? Yeah. So I I can't wait for that. Uh, but it, the other thing does happen when we see people on social media that um, even even cameos, that there's a site that is cameos.com uh, where you can get uh, celebrities to give you a shout out. 
Yes. And there are people that use those as if they were uh, buddies. And then, I mean, the trust gets broken right there. Totally. Right? Yeah. And I think what people need to understand is people think that your followers on Instagram aren't real people, right? And they don't can't put things together and they're not paying attention. People pay attention. And if you post something one day, another thing the next day, and another thing the third day, they may not say anything to you. They may not comment. It's unlikely for them to comment. Small percentage of people comment, but they're noting it. And if they see something like that and say, hey, I know Cameo. Everyone knows what Cameo is, right? I know what that site is. And I know you paid for that. And now you're trying to make it seem like you did it. That hurts your brand and reputation way more than you just coming out and either A, not doing it, or B, saying, hey, I paid for this because I really like the person. And I want it to hear from their voice, my 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 name under their voice, right? Like this is the exact what it is, and it's a nice thing. But you've done this, and it's fair. But like, people are people, and they're not stupid. And I, the the thought that people are stupid is what's running, I think, what's running a lot of people into trouble because they have this concept that they're just a random number that follows you, and they're stupid, and people aren't stupid. Yeah, thank you so much for that. That's beautiful. And talking about that in social media, you have over 100,000 on followers on Instagram alone. Uh, so that's, I mean, that that's huge. How often do you post on social media, on Instagram? Generally, so generally, I post about three to five times a day in my Instagram and then another five to six times in my stories. Yeah. The last few days, I haven't been posting much uh, because we're changing over some of the content. I'm getting animation content done right now. Yep. So it's like voiceovers for me animated, which I think is really cool. Wow. And uh, uh, so this animated voiceover stuff, I'm starting to roll it out uh, over the next couple of days. So as I'm rolling that out, I paused with some of the posts, but then I'll go back to three to four, three to five times a day. Um, I like Instagram a lot. I do a lot of Instagram lives as well. It's a platform that, that I enjoy and I enjoy it, like just personally enjoy because it's a way for me to connect with a lot of people. And if I go back to my vision board, my, part of my vision was to be able to impact millions of people. And, and when I wrote that, Instagram didn't exist. I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I found a way to start doing it. So that aligns with my vision, right? So now 100,000, but I literally get 2 million or more impressions a week, right? So now I'm like, okay, did I, did I not um, make my goals big enough? Did I not make my goals big enough, right? Because... You have 100,000 followers and if you post three or five times a day, a certain number of people see each post. They're mm-hmm. sharing it. A lot more people see it over a course of a week, see your content over a course of a week. You post that many pieces of content. So now I'm like, okay, did I not make my goal big enough, <laughs> right? When I said a million, maybe it's tens of millions, maybe it's hundreds of millions. And I found it as I was like younger and making these stretch goals and then knocking them out of the park. I was like, oh crap, I wasn't making my goals big enough. So when I started saying things like, oh, I want to make a, I want to be a billionaire, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, you know, I've made, I've made, you know, I've got over 50 million in assets now, um, which I didn't think I was going to have. And I, and I'm, I'm 38 and I got it. Like, what does 58 and 68 look like? I'm like, I should put some, I should put some real thought and effort into this. So then I started like really diving into what are the different things I can do to make a billion dollars, right? And what aligns with that, right? And so I, I research people who've done it. And then you research enough people who've done it, and then you dig down into the things that you can do. Because I know I can't be a Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know computers like that, and I'm, yeah. I'm not going to get to that stage. It's not something I'm interested in. So I'm not going to be a guy that's going to code some cool new app or cool whatever. That's never going to be me. I understand that. But I understand business 
and I understand real estate, there's areas in real estate you can do it in, but there's more areas in business you can do it in. And I understand, you know, Warren Buffett and the path that he took, right? And I say, well, well, if I do something similar to what Warren did, Warren made $80 billion. If I do something similar, I should be able to make a billion. Right. And that was the logic, right? Like, so even if I do it at like 180th of what he did, it is still like a billion. So I should be able to do that or more. So I started following that sort of guidance and, and really digging into what the fuck it was he did. Right. And like going back, Benjamin Graham. Okay. I need to read every Benjamin Graham book. Right. So let's start there. Boom. And then he, every book that he references, I need to read that. Every year, Warren, um, has a, uh, is as a company, Berkshire Hathaway they release their financial statements and in it he does a write-up where he explains where he sees the state of the market and everything else i went back and read all those from the beginning just get what's in his head what's in his mindset so you're going through these large documents and then and then i start researching individual companies so reading you know 100 pages of uh financial statements of companies you're interested in because that's what warren did right wow. like when you look at warren buffett i don't know if anyone else i've ever met period, who's read enough, who's read as much about individual companies and their financial statements as Warren Buffett, right? So it makes sense that someone that studies at that level within business, did nothing else but studies at that level of business, has accomplished in the top tier of all business people, right? So it comes down, comes back to Warren's not superhuman. He's a very intelligent person. But if he didn't put those hours in and literally he he read up on every single company that's traded on the NASDAQ, every single one, like, wow. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then my company's he's reading all their financial statements going back 15, 20 years to get a real deep depth of what people are, are before he invests his money. And now you got people today that don't even know how to read a financial statement and are investing in the stock market because their brother or sister gave them a hot tip that you should buy, pick something. Or I'm going to buy it because I use it, right? So which one of those two are going to accomplish more? Someone who's read every single financial statement of all the companies on the exchange or someone who took a hot pick and likes, you know, Apple, right? Who's going to do better, right? I pick this person. And, and we all know this intuitively, right? But having said that, we don't all want to do the work here because there's a lot of work here. Yep. And that's fine if you don't want to do the work here. But don't expect to achieve the results. Yeah, I mean that that's a great one. There's a saying that um, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, and mm -hmm. that's it. So everybody wants to have the benefits, the financial benefits, but nobody wants to put in the work, the the thousands of hours that you have to put in, just like you mm -hmm. said, of reading those statements to know exactly what's happening in every single business and to know mm -hmm. if you're going to invest or not. Uh, not everybody wants to do that for sure. Mm -hmm. Cozy, uh, who are some of your mentors? You, you mentioned a, a few. Yeah. Um, I mean, they don't, they don't personally mentor you, although indirectly yeah. they do because you follow what they do, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you both. I'll give you two people that, that, that impact me the most on a, on the business side that I don't know. And then also people that I do know personally and their impact, yeah. right? So Warren Buffett's always been number one for me now, in terms of people that have impacted me overall that I've looked up to and, and try to mimic and try to understand and get into his mindset. Um, he's one where, you know, I've kind of from, I, I read the book, the snowball initially to kind of like, okay, here's a, a biography on him. 
let's read the different things that he went through and read from when he was a child and how he was wired and from him starting pinball machines as an early business to his paper route and really getting into his psyche mm -hmm. to other books that are, you know, the Warren Buffett way and the analysis of financial statements and basically and any YouTube video that I could see that was discussing him or what he was investing in and how he, how, what his thought process was, because I'm like, here's a guy who started from nothing and made $80 billion and then continues to make 20% on his money every year. There's something to this that he's fundamentally doing differently than the majority of other people. So I need to get into his head. Right. And so Warren Buffett is by far, um, the biggest one that I personally uh, look up to from the business side. And then and my mom and dad, uh, both of them on the personal side. Um, what I learned from my mother is uh, she always worked hard and she never took sick days. She never took one sick day in her whole working career. She worked as a nanny, taking care of other people's kids, sacrificing so that we could have a better future. That sacrifice, I, to get into that psychology of a woman, who's leaving her country that she grew up in to come to another country that's cold and without anyone at the time, just by herself to take care of someone else's kids. She said she'd take care of their kids in the day and then cry at night. Right. But she knew she was doing this for her family's future. So my mom is number one and my dad is right, right there beside them, the two. And, and what I learned from my dad was, was, was again, the concept of hard work discipline but he also taught me, he said, Kosi, you're born in a country where there's opportunities here that we don't have in Jamaica. So make the most of those opportunities and believe in yourself. And I think that my parents, they couldn't give me financial stuff as a child. But the way they wired my brain was like, wow, like they created something that, I, you know, I was happy that I was born in the situation I was born in because my, my parents were there the the what you see in front of you and the accomplishments that I've made is 90% attributed to how um, my parents raised me and what they enlisted in me as a child and then it's the the last part was me just taking that and running with it right um, so I'm very grateful to both of my parents and then on the business side it, it's Warren and then on the on the what I like to call the mindset side it's, it's Napoleon Hill and Napoleon Hill wrote uh, the book, Think and Grow Rich. And I, I don't read that book. Like most people read a book. I go through that book line by line, right? And I need to understand everything that he's writing about. And I believe everything he's writing about because he's done the research to support it. So there's a common thing behind me is I don't study many people deeply, but the ones that have huge accomplishments, I dig really deep or have huge backing behind what they're saying. I dig really deep into those. And I believe that it's hundred percent true. Right. I don't, I don't question it too much. Right. So what Warren Buffett has done, I say that works. So his methodology, I'm not going to question his methodology. I'm going to believe it's true. I'm going to understand the methodology. Napoleon Hill, we write in that book based on his experiences and taking 20 years to produce that book that he was commissioned by the richest man in the world to write Andrew Carnegie. I take that book and I say, okay, this is, this is how you build wealth. So I'm going to read the book and I'm going to take those lessons as a fact yeah. and go really deep into it. You know, I love that the fact that you mentioned your parents, because mm -hmm. a lot of people forget, and those are the ones that have the biggest influence in who we are going to become, because they're the ones that raise us, correct? Mm -hmm. and, and it's so easy for most entrepreneurs to to start thinking about the Gary Vaynerchuks and you know Tony Robbins and all of that as mentors, 
and forget their parents. And that's very powerful because I consider that both my parents are up there as well uh, mm -hmm. for, for different reasons. Like the hardworking, my dad was super, super hardworking. He was mm -hmm. the kind of guy that would, he worked 20 hours a day at one point when he, he, he was born in Portugal and then he moved to Canada and he was mm -hmm. working 20 hours a day. Yeah. In the four hours that he had, he, he had a one hour walk to work or a half hour each way walk wow. because he didn't have a transportation. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, that's, though our parents are always, I mean, number one up there when give us that, the mindset, right? Exactly. And then for you, as you're working in business and you're like, this is hard one day and you think back to what your parents did for way less money. And I'm like, how the fuck can I say this is hard today? This is nothing compared to what they mm -hmm. were doing. Right. And they did for me. I'm like, this is a cakewalk. Things start to become a cakewalk. Right. It's like, this is actually quite easy. Let's just get your head down and then work a little bit harder and get it done and then move on. Yeah. Man, that's, that's so cool. So right now, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, what I talked about in the beginning, the yeah. brewery fabrication, which is um, specific mechanical systems. That's the name of the yeah. company. Yes. So you actually, you are, your company builds breweries. Is that it? Yeah, absolutely. So we build the equipment that go in breweries. We also build the equipment that goes in distilleries. Um, and then we also do some industrial building as well. So things for the dairy industry and a lot of other oil and gas. Basically, we make stainless steel and copper specialized equipment. That so, so say someone is another entrepreneur and they want to start a brewery business or a distilling business, or they want to, you know, either take raw materials and turn it into beer or vodka on the back end. Um, we help them both from a designing a system of what you need to have in place and then second of building the equipment for them and then helping them lay it out in their facility and then uh, then they kind of put it in like they start and, and start selling spirits and we find that the craft market is one that's just continuing to grow based on how this generation is and our generation is a lot different than our parents generation although we're tied into technology a lot more we also like um we also put a higher importance on brands and who it is that we're buying things from is right up there with the quality of it. So we understand that, okay, you know, Budweiser and a lot of companies, they're fantastic companies, but it's not the same as buying a craft, a craft mm -hmm. beer or a craft spirit from someone who has kind of poured their heart and soul into those ingredients and put in such great natural ingredients and then took such time to produce something that is is made in a in a smaller batched way right and that sort of uniqueness is a is a reality in our in our world today where we really like that as a as a generation and we're like okay that's great i like it i like that it's local i like that i'm so you know what i mean and that and i like the the atmosphere that you have in some of these facilities right yeah. so yeah it's it's uh it's a really cool uh, area to be in, and, and I'm happy to be here. Um, we'll be here for the next 20 years doing really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if it's always been like that because I'm 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 not into the 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 brewery and the local brewers, mm -hmm. but um, not too long ago, uh, one of my friends mentioned how he that's his hobby, right? He loves it very much, and then there's even apps and groups. And I mean, just here in the Edmonton area, there will be thousands of people that are mm -hmm. 
the want to start their own breweries and they are doing it at home. And so I'm just guessing if, if this is uh, like he showed me, if this is like this in the rest of the country, maybe in the rest of the world, the potential, the potential is there and it's growing. Uh, it's growing by daily, right? Mm -hmm. so, so you may be, you may be right at the beginning of a trend. Uh, I don't know if it's the beginning of the trend, but, uh, but I mean, it's definitely growing. I can see that. Yeah, it's growing for some areas locally based on a lot of it has to do with regulations and when they open up the regulations to allow for craft mm -hmm. brewers to be in operation and distillers. And then also like globally, right? You see a lot of different countries as they start to allow and have their kind of, I call them their, their craft boom, right? So how many, how many companies do you own today? Uh, not properties, just uh, businesses. Uh, so quite a few, about four. Um, and uh, they all do slightly different things. So I don't have like a, when I look at, and if you look at, if you look at Warren Buffett, he's got a lot of different companies too, and they all do different yeah. things. Um, when I look at companies and look at, a, I'm less concerned about the, the, the sector it's in, like whether it's manufacturing or like, you know, services or like, I'm less concerned on consulting. I'm less concerned on that aspect of it. I'm more concerned on, a are the are the fundamentals of the company sound and then b can i help it grow right and that's a critical important question for me can i help it grow can i help support this girl because to buy a company and just kind of hold on and say okay well that's not where my passion lies my passion lies in in, in joining something that i can help support and grow because they're doing such a good job of the business, right? So taking businesses are doing a really good job of the business and then helping supporting them in growth. And supporting them in growth can come in many, many different ways, right? It could be, um, for me, um, I've done really well at, um, you know, kind of building out marketing and sales plans based on what I see them doing and where I see they can go. So building that out for my, for my company so that we're, we can get growth and then it's kind of executing on those plans. And whether that growth is through like online means, whether it's like, you know, social media, online marketing, or it's it's face-to-face -face means, it's looking at what the company's doing and then seeing where the gaps are and saying, okay, if we initiate these structures, um, we can start to expand out what we're doing in the operation. So those are the two questions that I asked for. And if I can't say yes to both of those things, and then, and then the third part is, can we do this for the next 20 years, right? I always think out 20 years, right? Can we do this for the next few years? I got to answer yes to all those three of those things, right? And when I answer yes to those three things, and I can put some some energy into it, then I know that it's gonna it's gonna go well for it's gonna go well, right? It's just you you eh, it's really really enjoyable to um, be part of something that you've seen you know be around for you know 20 30 years in some cases, and then you inject a different type of energy into it and then you see how that um, that next stage of growth kind of happens. Um, really good book that I like is Good to Great and it talks about good companies that you know may have been at a mid-size for a lot of years and what takes them from that mid-size and it makes them great. And it's kind of leveraging off those, those, those aspects and applying them to various organizations so that we're buying companies, we're building them and that all fits in with my long-term goal, right? Because we can't build it um 
then it doesn't then I then I can't reach my ultimate goals, right? So everything fits. I say everything that I do today fits in with my twenty year plan mm-hmm. and my vision board. Yeah, I hear you. One of my favorite things is as well is uh, I take it as a challenge to grow yeah. grow a business or launch launch a new brand. And what I do is physical products. So actually, one of my proudest moments besides uh being a father three times actually i was i have three kids but i was only a father twice because yeah. uh, i have twins nice. um, <laughs> but one of my proudest moments besides that was seeing on somebody's shelf one yeah. of my products like in somebody's house yes yeah in somebody's house and i walk in and i see one of my products and i yeah. know it's mine because it, it has my brand in there and i'm the one I'm the only seller of my brands yeah. in, in most cases. So, I mean, it's, it's so cool building a business right? and, and thinking that uh, physical products or, or building a brewery or something and knowing how many people that you'll never know exactly how many people, but that you're impacting people cool. and you're helping them and they're going to be using your products. And I mean, man, we can make stories in our heads of, <laughs> Uh, what's happening, right? Uh, am I making people happy today without even leaving my house, right? Somebody right. bought my product exactly. and they're, they're un- unwrapping it, opening it. And they're so happy. Yeah. Of course they paid for it, but, uh, I don't know. I, I just, uh, <laughs> I yeah. like, I like that quite stuff. Right? It is quite the experience. Cozy, how many properties do you own today and what, what type of properties? You know, I, someone asked me that question the other day, and I can't answer. Like, I don't know off the top of my head. To be the, the honest, to goodness, truth is, I don't know the number off the top of my head. I'd have to like, because it's not something that I sit down and like count out ever. Like, I don't mm-hmm. itemize it and count. Um, so I'll, I'll start with a type. So I own the multifamily commercial, and I started in single family, and then more recently, I primarily just focus on commercial and multifamily, right? Oh. And then, um, at this point, it's over 50 units. How many over? I don't like, I have to, I, I just, I physically, I don't know, to be honest. Um, and then, yeah, so that's kind of where it is in the real estate side and then where I see that kind of growing in the future. Like what, what's my future plan on the real estate side is, um, my, my overall business plan is, 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 is relatively simple is you, uh, if you look at it almost like, uh, if you look at it, like a company that's traded on the stock market. Companies that trade in the stock market, and generally, they keep all the money they make inside the company, mm-hmm. right? And then every so often, some of them will pay pay out dividends, right? And that's the money that they say, okay, we've got excess money, we're going to pay it out in dividends, right? With the companies I own, for the most part, I keep the money inside the company, right? For the most part. Um, you got to be able to look at each company and say, okay, if the lights went off today, can that company still operate for a year? And different things can turn the lights off. Right now, we're dealing with... COVID that turns the lights off, but you set up your companies in a way that they can last long-term. So you have to have that amount of money in the company. The excess, what people would take is dividends. Um, the excess, what I like to do with the excess is use that to buy additional real estate. So um, right now we're looking at, uh, you know, what sorts of acquisitions on the real estate side. And it's, it's a couple of uh, different things. It's, it's larger developments that, on the back end, we can refinance out as opposed to sell out. Like, so we don't really want to sell them. We want to build out and hold um, versus selling them so that we can have the asset last for 20 years. 
and make gains off of for 20 years versus selling it at that point. Um, so that's what we're doing in the, in the, in the developing. So develop to hold. And then on the, the we're also finding some opportunities um, in the multifamily space where we can buy, uh, potentially renovate, improve, and again, hold long-term. So they're all, the, the real estate end, similar to the business end, is all, it's all based around long-term opportunities. Um, we've done some short-term stuff in the past. So I've done some short-term stuff in the past where I bought something, renovated, and flipped it out. And to be honest, every time I did it, it, it bothered me. Yeah. Bother me, bother me, bother me because, you know, time value of money, right? And I felt like even though we made 200 grand, like some of these deals, we made $200,000 and I felt like I made $200,000 today, but I could have refinanced that potentially. And I could have made half a million dollars, like it's half a million dollars that I lost out on five years from now on some of these deals. So like a lot of the times I'm like, fuck, like, yeah, we made a ton of money, but we, when you work it out, I'm like, we actually lost, we lost mm-hmm. overall. So uh, it, which has led me to more of a buy and hold strategy. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people sell stuff now because they need the money. And so we, the structure set up that we don't need the money, right? You yeah. don't the money. We pay ourselves. We don't need the money. So now the money can be used to make more money. Yeah. Oh, I hear you completely. So since, since you said you, you started in Edmonton area. Uh, I bet you heard of a, a city up north called Fort McMurray. Yes, I know well. Okay, so I um, I owned a couple houses in Fort McMurray, and I still have one. Mm-hmm. And recently, when the, the prices of houses start going crazy up there, go, uh, crazy uh, down, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, on the way down, somebody asked me, like, what are you going to do now? Your house um, was worth so much as now it's worth a, a, a quarter of what it used to be or whatever. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? And my answer was like, nothing. I'm not <laughs> going to sell it. Right. <laughs> if, if it was worth 500,000 yesterday and 300,000 today, yeah, I don't sell it. I'm yeah. not going to lose the 200,000. I'll just no. keep it until yeah. it goes back up. Yeah. And it, that's what a lot of people think it's, as soon as the economy starts to go down, okay, I'm going to sell my house because now it's worth less. Like, no, your mortgage is the same. You're yes. paying the same. Exactly. It's just technically worth less. But mm-hmm. uh, if you don't sell it, you still have the exact same right? asset. So I still have one of them, but uh, I sold another one when it was at peak because uh, yeah. I had to. Right. right. And if you think about that method, methodology and it comes back so i come back to warren buffett a lot like i learned that through warren right i learned the concept of you know you know you set up your businesses in a way that that the income that they're generating that even if bad times happen and he's been around 60 over 60 years in business and owning businesses so he's someone that you have to listen to right because they've been through depressions multiple recessions and so they know that it's going to happen. And you have to realize as a business owner that 100% you're going to go through downtimes. It's not an if, and, or but. It's 100% it's going to happen. What will happen, we don't know, but 100% it's going to happen. And if you want to own it long-term, that's why I always talk 20 years, they said, okay, you've got to be prepared on your real estate and on your businesses that downturns are going to happen and they potentially may not see rent for six months. So if that's in your mindset as a business owner, then literally there is no recession that's going to put you out of business, right? 
Other things may, right? It could be some applied demand issues over time. They're looking out and they just, they just don't want the product. But you need to be positioning yourself in terms of, and, and what it is, is cash, right? Today, today, in his entire career, Warren Buffett has more cash on hand than he's ever had in his entire in business lifetime, right? Over $130 billion he's got in cash today, like sitting in cash. So it's like, as you have, as you build your businesses, understanding that you need cash on hand to support each and every one of those businesses. Otherwise, you're playing Russian roulette. That's that's so incredible. Um, Cozy, one more thing. Mm-hmm. People that uh, love what they heard and they want to know more about you and they want to connect with you, where would you want them to go? You know what? I, I I'm an Instagram guy, so if you find me there, that's where you'll that's where you'll see the most of me. Um, that's where I post the most, and that's where you can kind of write to me, and I'll write back. Um, so that's the platform that I spend the most of my time on. It's actually the easiest way to get in touch with me is mm-hmm. through there. So um, yeah, you'll see I'm pretty active. Uh, and on LinkedIn, uh, sorry, on Instagram, you are the property owl. Yes. Why the property owl? You know, it's an interesting story. Um, number one, I actually hate owls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, when I was, uh, my, my company's called Property Owl Investment Solutions. And when I started an Instagram account, and this is when I was like 50 people on my account, I used the property owl because initially I was kind of starting at the Instagram account and like, I didn't want it to be my own name on it. So I like, I just had this account. I was just checking what people were doing. Right. Yeah. And then I started posting things on there, like infrequently. And I was posting things, posting things, posting things. And then eventually I was out and people started referring to me as the property owl. Like, Hey, the property owl is here. And at first I'm like, what are you talking about the property owl is here? Then I realized that they knew me through Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and then it just, the handle just really stuck. And then people just started calling me the owl or the property owl. And it's kind of turned into like a nickname for me. Uh, and it just, just because of how active I am on Instagram, I see that name tag, the property owl, the property owl, the property owl has done this. Uh, so that's how it's kind of evolved. Gotcha. So for everybody listening, you know where to go, the property owl on instagram and i'll also have that on the show notes and i'll put your your linkedin as well cozy thank you so much for being here it was a pleasure awesome uh, it. it's a lot of fun it's a great way uh, to enjoy the day so this means and, a lot it's part of my vision and uh I'm, I'm grateful every time i get opportunities like this thank you if you ever come back towards the edmonton area you do let me know man we'll go for a beer if the covid 19 is gone yeah it sounds awesome <laughs> all right thank you Okay, ciao. Thanks for subscribing to Fail Fast Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and visit failfastpodcast.com for show notes, Quinn's social media, or even to tell us your story.